Um, if you do have your Bibles with you, I want you guys to go ahead um, and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't know where Ephesians is, it's in the New Testament a little bit ways in. It's a smaller book that's actually a letter written to the church of Ephesus that talked a lot about church and what it actually means to be church. And in the process of that, it covers a lot of what we've been talking about this last week and what we'll continue to talk about through Thanksgiving. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to join us um, over the past few weeks, we began a new series um, about Jesus coming in the flesh and talking a lot about being present in this world and being like Christ the same way he was. Because when you look at who God is, this incredible being, spirit, that's incomprehensible. God is all-powerful, all-knowing that out of his love for us, he took on flesh and he took on humanity in the form of Jesus Christ. Not only to die for our sins, but to relate to us and to build relationship in a way that we could understand. And what the word says that in the same way that Jesus stepped out of heaven and humbled himself to this world, so are we called to be present in the world and to take on flesh in a sense, to come and know and to love the people around us and to lead the people around us to Jesus and to salvation the same way that he did. And so we, there are terms that are used even to describe us by God as Christ's ambassadors, that you're an ambassador for Christ, that you're someone that represents him in a foreign land the same way an ambassador of a nation would. You know, they would even use terms like God's co-workers, you're a co-worker with the Lord in the work for the kingdom. Amen? Amen? That's something to be excited about. And yet, when you talk about being like Christ, that's a term that can get thrown around a lot. Or it can even be self-defined in the sense of if someone begins to act and they say, I'm being like Christ, and they're like, how? And they said, because I think I am. You know, like, you can do whatever you think you want to do. And oftentimes there are people that are, there are people in the world, as you probably know, that are saying they're being like Christ, but their actions and what they're doing is actually the opposite of it. And so what does it actually mean to be like Christ is something that we're taking weeks to look into. And I would even go as far as to say it begins looking at ourselves and looking at the way that God created us in that sense. Because how many of you are racers in the room? How many of you like running? How many of you like driving cars, you know, legally? So imagine this. Imagine being a racer, whether it's cars, motorcycles, bikes, anything like that. Imagine, imagine being a, racing your car but not knowing anything about cars. You're trying to be a professional. You're trying to be the fastest at it. Imagine being a runner and not knowing anything about the human body or how it works. Do you think that that would be the best way to set yourself up to run the fastest or to go the fastest? You have to be a student of it. You have, if you're going to race cars, you've got to be a mechanic. If you're going to race bikes, you should know bikes pretty well. Amen? Amen? And in the same way, we are created to be like Christ and have Christ dwell within us. So how important is it that we understand the way that God made us so that we could function to the greatest of God's ability for our own lives? Amen? And you see that in Ephesians 2, and I want to read that with you guys. It's a passage that talks about being saved, but it also talks about the work that God has prepared for us. And this is what it says. If you're in chapter 2, look at verse 8. It says, 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Can we say amen to God's word? It begins by talking about that it's the grace of God that you're saved you, by faith. You trust in God's grace and love over you. And by that, you're saved and covered by the blood of Jesus when you trust in him. And it says it's not by works. It's not by your own effort. Because you can't save yourself. You can't earn eternal life by your own behavior. But you need God to save you. And it says that it's not by works. So no one can say, I'm better than you. I'm more holy than you. Because we're all saved by the same grace. But then it goes on to say that we're God's handiwork. That we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That word handiwork, maybe in your Bible, it uses a couple different terms. One, it says you're God's creation is another one. Another one says you're God's workmanship, that God worked to create you in a certain way. And another one I love says that you're God's masterpiece, that God truly looks at you and says, you are a masterpiece by what I've created in you. And not only that, it goes on to say that you have been prepared in advance to be a masterpiece in the Lord. So God didn't just put this on the spot and go, Jesus, we need someone to go out of heaven to save us, poof, and kick him out. How many of you are last-minute prep people in this room? How many of you, like, you're in class, and they're like, all right, we're ready for presentations today, and you're like, I forgot that was today, and you just make it up on the fly, and you're up there like, there's the chlorophyll, you know. God doesn't not prepare like you. Amen? God has put a lot of thought and preparation into us and the way that we are made to be long before we ever actually came to be. Isn't that incredible? You know, it's, it's a thing of creation because just as we talked about last week, you were created in God's image. It says that in Genesis that God created humanity distinctively different than the rest of the world in the capacity to be the image of Christ, but also to relate to other people by the way that we love and interact with one another. Means being like Jesus to you is one of the most natural things you were created to do, whether or not you realize it yet, or whether it feels natural. And I think it starts with that recognizing those, those deep parts of your own heart and those deep, deep needs. Being saved and forgiven by God isn't something just given to us, but it's something that we were made for. I want you to think about that for a minute, because oftentimes when we think about being like Jesus, you're called to be like Jesus. We think it's like, well, I'm not capable of that, as if it's some foreign concept that's put on top of how we already are. But what if it was something that we were made to do already? What if it's bigger than just what you're capable of? I'm capable of being like Jesus. I'm not capable. What if it's actually how you were intentionally made in the first place, and now you're just understanding how you really work as a person? Amen? See, God made you like him 
but he also made you to need him. I want to say that one more time. God made you like him, but he also made you to need him as well. Because to be like Jesus is to recognize your need for Jesus. You can't preach a God that's needed for this world if you don't recognize the own need in your own heart. Amen? You see, it's interesting because oftentimes when we think about Christ in our own lives and we think about the need for Christ, everybody say need, need, all right? That's a word that can sometimes be a bad thing. You think you need God more than others, you might not think you're relating as well to God. But what if it meant that you were relating to God even better? I'm going to use another car example. And so how many drivers do we have in the room? Legal drivers, just kidding. So, you know, I want you to imagine something for a minute. Imagine having a car, a nice car at that, amen? You have a nice car, but you've never, you have never in your life heard about gasoline. And it's a gas-powered car. 21st century, got to make that clear. And this is how you work the car. You just push it around. You know, your friends are in the back and they're pushing it and you're sitting in the driver's seat like, hurry up. Like, we're on the highway. We got to keep it going. So you push it up hills and then you just kind of coast it down the hill. Just pushing it around. You're like this big lug of a car around. And that's, that's it. You think that's what a car is for. Just pushing around and riding it. And then here comes Jesus with the gas tank. All right? And he says... I want you to put the gas right there. And he says, now I want you to get in the car, start the car, and you see that little pedal down at the bottom? I want you to push it. And they're like, what? No, that's not what a car is for. I can't do that. You know, like, I, you just have to push it. That's too, that's too weird, all right? Or, what if you were like, what if God came and told you that, and you were like, God, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not worthy of gas. I was going to say, God, I'm not worthy of your gas, but, <laughs> I mean, we probably aren't. Amen? <laughs> but let me ask you something. The gas is essential to the car functioning for what it really is. So let me ask you something. When God says, you need me, you need me in your life to be everything that I've created you to be. And we say, God, I'm not worthy. How's it any different? How's it any different? See, in each one of us, God has created this Christ-sized hole in our soul that nothing can fulfill except Jesus being our Lord and Savior. Now, there are a lot of things in the world that people go after to try and find that satisfaction that peace, that contentment of your soul. Some people go after, you know, popularity. Some people go after fortune or fame or position in this life. Try to be high in the world and so up here. And so if, if I'm over people, if I'm famous, that will satisfy it, but it doesn't. Some people go to unhealthy relationships with one another. Some people go to selfishness's extent to try and satisfy their soul, but it doesn't. That's why Jesus himself would say, I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me will never go hungry. But if you eat the bread of this world, whatever that may be, and no matter how much you eat of it, 
you'll just wind up hungrier than you were before. That's why Jesus would say, I'm the water of life. You drink that water, you'll still be thirsty. In the same way, you eat the things and you drink the things of these, this world, you're still going to be left wanting in your soul. Because there's only one thing that can satisfy the way that you were made. And that's Christ himself. You were made to need God in every aspect of your life. Not just in some of them, in all of them. Can we say all? All of them. It's interesting because when you look at the story of Adam and Eve, that when they ate the fruit, that it wasn't just eating fruit that was the ultimate sin. Amen? Fruit's pretty good. But what it was was disobeying God and doing things their own way. In fact, if you look at a biblical definition of sin, it's defined as, you know, messing up, stumbling, trespassing. But it's also defined as this, an inclination towards evil and away from God. That sin is just bigger than just messing up in the moment. But it's this mindset, it's this curse that we say in ourselves that I don't need God. I don't want God. I want to do things my own way. And whether that's motivated out of selfishness, maybe that's more times than not motivated out of fear. God, I'm afraid of trusting in you with this area of my life, so I'm going to do things my way. You know what's funny? And I've been here. Maybe you've been here. That ironically, there are people that rely on themselves and in their own lives, and then they come to know Jesus, and then they feel like, well, I need to be even better for God now that I'm saved. So then they just become even more independent in the process. What if God wanted you to rely on him more rather than less? See, there are things that are happening in our lives, whether they're issues of contentment. Maybe you struggle with being content where you are. Maybe you struggle with having peace with where you're at and with your family and with your friends, where you're at in school and in life. Maybe you struggle with fear. Maybe you struggle with sin. Maybe you're weak towards something. Maybe you have cycles of sin. Maybe you struggle with addiction. But all in all, it speaks of this deep need that we have for Christ. And the thing that defines us is that Jesus is our Lord and Savior because we were made to need him. Amen? You need a Savior and a King, and only Jesus can be that to you other than the things of this world. That's a powerful truth because on one hand, you're created to need God, and God understands that. So now think about this for a minute. If God made you to need him, that means God is fully prepared to help us. He's not surprised that he needs to help us because he's the one who created us to need him. Amen? And God isn't just someone like, what do you want now? You know. Like you're asking for extra allowance or something. But he not only wants to help us, but what the word says is that he wants to make his home within us. So we have this deep need for God in our hearts, but did you know that there's this place that God wants to dwell in that gaping hole, in that deep need in our hearts? That he doesn't just fill it, but he stays there. You know, Jesus himself said to his own disciples... John 14, 23, at the Last Supper, he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Can everybody say home? 
It's not just paying rent, all right, until he finds somewhere better. But it says, I'm going to make my home within you. I desire to live and to be with you, which is amazing because we have a God that came thousands of years ago in the form of Jesus Christ to this earth. That was a big step out of heaven. But today, God is doing the same thing through the Holy Spirit, stepping out of heaven into our own lives and dwelling within us, making his home within us, not just tolerating us, not just trying to get out the door, but truly living and being a part of your life. In the junior high ministry, we've done this serve experience on a monthly basis for the last two years, where we go down to the Burnside Bridge and help with this nonprofit ministry called Night Strike. It's something that we'll get to do in October as well and offer to you guys. But one of the things about that, we go down and serve. I've got the opportunity to go. And after serving, you interact with a lot of homeless people. You interact with a lot of people who don't have a home or looking for their next meal. And it's great to serve, but I got to tell you, it's nice getting home and realizing you have a roof over your head. It's nice knowing that you, have, you know where your meal's coming from next. It's nice knowing that you're going to be able to pay your rent. That's a nice thing, amen? That's definitely a blessing. But imagine this for a minute. What if someone went down there and served and they were like, gosh, I love these people so much. I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to get a sleeping bag and food stamps. I'm going to join them. I'm going to live among them and be present to help them. Would you say that person probably loves them a lot? Because anyone can serve as long as they got to go back to their nice life. But it's love to step out and make your home there. Jesus stepped out of heaven to make his home among us. The Holy Spirit's doing that right now. That's how much he loves each and every one of us. See, being like Christ is more than just being a student and acquiring information. You can be a student of a sport. You can be a student of a classroom subject. Probably not, but you can. All right? But there's a major difference between acquiring information about something and having the God of the universe dwell within you and shine through you. Amen? That's what makes us different from any other philosophy of the world from any other belief in the world, because Christ truly dwells within us. When we say we're like Christ, we're not just saying that we look like Christ. We're saying that Christ dwells within us, and that we want Christ to shine even more through our lives. When I hear that, growing up, I would think this. I would hear that, and I would say, uh, Pastor, you know, if God dwells within me, then why don't I, like, glow? Or, you know, like, or how come I don't really see Christ around me? Because all I see is me. You know what I mean? If the God of the universe is dwelling inside of me, wouldn't he just kind of blow his way through all my stuff and be easy to see if he really was there? But what I would say to that is this, that God dwells within us, but it's up to us to learn how to let him be seen in our lives. You see, God does dwell within each and every one of us. But ultimately, it's up to us to allow him to be seen. And that's the process of walking with Jesus through life. Amen? 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 I'm going to 
Do a little example here. Be careful, Jeff, it's fire. It's, it's apple cinnamon. During junior high, I said that, and a kid literally Now, many of you have heard the example, you know, that you're a light in the world, all right? Maybe you haven't, but what it says, and Jesus would even say in Matthew 5, is that you are a light to the world when God dwells within you, that the candle doesn't do any effort, but literally God comes in and dwells, and that itself is a light to the people around us, to the light to the world around us. And oftentimes, the darker it is, the more God is seen. And it's true of our lives around us that the darker the world gets, the more Christ is seen through us. But one thing I want to speak on on behalf of that, too, is that, you know, you could see light from miles away if it's completely pitch black. That's the power of light around us. And that's the same power of Christ within each and every one of you. Now, this is my life, all right? This is my, this is my pride. This is my impatience. This is my unforgiveness. This is my passive aggressiveness. This is my selfishness. And oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves in these places, and we dig down and find these things. And when we choose ourselves before Christ, it builds a wall around it. And so suddenly something that could be seen from miles away is all of a sudden blocked, you know, but in the same way, maybe you have something in your life, when you surrender it to Jesus, all of a sudden, Jesus is seen through that area of your life. In fact, if you had to sum up being like Christ in one sentence, it's this. Being like Jesus is getting out of Jesus's way. Amen? It's this process of learning to step out of God's way and let him be seen in every aspect of your life. There's a funny story in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it's funny to me. But Jesus is explaining this will that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified. And after three days, he's going to be raised to life. There's nothing more beautiful than the cross and the resurrection because it saves us as humanity. And one of his disciples, Peter, goes, no, you won't. And he's like, I will not let you die. And Jesus says something funny. I mean, if Jesus said this to you, you probably need to feel bad about yourself. He says, get behind me, Satan. It was like, all right, someone just called me Satan. It was the son of God. So <laughs> there's not much bright side to that. Amen. But what God says is this. He says, get behind me, Satan. He goes, he says this, you have in mind the things of man and not of God. God has this plan to reveal himself and Peter says, no way. I'm doing my plan in this moment. And God says, no. I need you to step out of the way and let me be shown. And it's the same thing that we face with Jesus in every aspect of our lives. In fact, it's a lot of the decision making that we make of whether listening to God in a certain area versus another one. Whether that's dealing with forgiveness of a certain person. Maybe it's dealing with a weakness in your own life and how to deal with your weakness did you know that weakness itself doesn't show God more or less, but how you deal with weakness does? 
I want to show a picture, actually, if you could put it up there. There's a lady named Mary on the right. Um, this happened about 20 years ago. She had a son um, named Laramoin, and I'm just going to call him Larry. Um, and Larry, in his teens, they lived in a pretty rough neighborhood. Larry was murdered, actually. Um, and it was a difficult thing for Mary to handle throughout her life because she had lost her son. There's obviously nothing more heartbreaking than losing a child. And she found herself in this place of, God, how do I deal with this in my own life? How do I deal with the man, his name was O'Shea, that murdered her son? And she had a decision to make, and she knew, she knew that the right thing to do was to forgive him. That's what God would call her to do. And so she said, I'm going to forgive him. And the Holy Spirit within her empowered her. That's another thing. God will give you the strength to do whatever he asks you to do. Because by herself, she cannot forgive that man. But with the Holy Spirit and relying on the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. So she went to the prison where O'Shea was. And she said, you, you're in here because you murdered my son. She said, but I forgive you. And I want to love you. Because come to find out, this O'Shea kid was a kid of a lot of gang-related activities. He was someone who didn't have a family, didn't have a father. He was raised on the streets, and so a lot of the things that he did were out of fear. He didn't know what it was like to be loved. He didn't know what it was like to have community around him. And so Mary began this relationship of being a mother to him. And years later, they still are like mother and son. They call each other mother and son. And in fact, it's beautiful because they actually go and visit groups who invite them as well as churches, and they'll share their testimony together of what God did, that he murdered her son, but there was forgiveness and reconciliation, and now it's as if she got her son back in O'Shea, and that is O'Shea right there, and that's, that's them together. That is Christ living within us. When you trust God with those things of your life, he is seen on display. She could have chosen bitterness. She could have chosen to hate him and to hate God for what had happened. But instead, she chose to trust God and to trust his commands. Not only trust God that he was in control after losing her son, but chose to love the person that murdered him. And God used that testimony what do you need to give God in your life? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to choose God over in your own life? I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I think we all face this decision in our lives because we know that we need God, but it's up to us to choose him in those needs before we choose ourselves. It speaks actually to one of the things. This is why it's so important to be before God's word on a daily basis. Because you can't listen to a God that you're not hearing. Amen? Pretty hard to listen and gain understanding and knowledge from a God where you're not gaining it. But when that comes, we have this decision to trust ourselves. Choose ourselves. Choose our own flesh. And it covers the witness within us. But when we choose God and we say, you know what, Lord, I want you in this area of my life. Maybe you're in here and you're struggling with an addiction in your life. Maybe you feel weak and you're struggling with sin and you're giving yourself over to sin. 
by you saying that, Lord, I want your help in this, and I want to overcome this, it's like this. God is all of a sudden seen in your life because someone would look and say, look at what they're struggling with, but look at how they're turning to God. In the same way that you could look at someone like Mary and say, man, she has every right to hate that person. Any human would, but because of Christ within her, she was able to forgive and love and to adopt. So this morning... I'm going to ask you guys to put your Bibles away. I'm going to ask you guys just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. This morning, there's a few ways that we get an opportunity to respond to Jesus. The first one is this. If you're here, maybe you think needing God in every aspect of your life is a bad thing. Maybe you're the kind of person that's like, man, I just have to keep going to God with these areas of my life. And you think God is mad at you because of that. Actually, he loves you for that. And that pleases him. Did you know that? When someone says, God, I need you, that's the right place to be. When someone says, I don't need God, I'm going to do things my own way. That's a dangerous place to be. That's not a place God wants us to be. So if you're here this morning, maybe you just need to let go of denial and just acknowledge that you need God. And the closer you get to God, the more you realize you need him in every aspect of your life. So this morning, maybe you need to surrender something to him. Maybe you need to surrender everything to him and say, God, I need you. God, I need you in every aspect of my life. I was made to need you. So to pretend like I don't is to work against the very way I was created. It's like pushing the car. But when you say, God, I need you, it's like putting gas in it. It functions right. This morning, maybe you want to function like a human being for the first time. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you thought accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior meant you had to reach a certain level of spirituality. You had to be a certain way morally. But what it is, is you just accept him and you acknowledge that you need him. And you call him your Savior and you call him your King. And if that's you, I want to pray with you too. Because that's the greatest decision you could ever make. Maybe you're here this morning. And you get to acknowledge Christ within you. And you get to make your witness seen by the decisions that you make in your life. But ultimately, you get to make your witness and like Christ seen to others by who you trust in. We have in mind the things of God, not the things of man. And so God, we trust you. Lord, we surrender things. Whether they're weaknesses, maybe there are things that have happened to you in this room. And you're here, and it would be so easy to live in unforgiveness. But right now, you want to say, I forgive you, and I surrender that. Because, God, you dwell within me, and you love me, and you give me the strength to forgive. God, you give me the strength to trust you. God, we, we lay that down before you. And, Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray together, who lives within us. Everyone said... Amen. Can you guys stand with me and we're going to finish together in worship.